Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Covered a ton of stuff today. Talked a little more about the secret meeting that might happen this week. Talked about George Santos' selection. Uh, talked about Section 702 a little bit. But the big news of the day was the impeachment of Mayorkas. Kicked off the show talking about how it should be done, but it's also not that big of a deal. He's still on the job. The Senate controls the Senate. They're not going to convict him. The hearing will be like a day, maybe. <laughs> right? They control the whole process. So still should have happened, but let's not think that there's any major change that's going to happen. The only change that will happen at the border is the election coming up in November, of course. Uh, we talked all about the Chinese element. I think it's the least talked about. I don't know if it's the most important part of the border. I don't, I don't know how to prioritize the problems of the border. I don't know what would be the most second, third, fourth biggest problems, but the Chinese part is the least talked about big problem. I don't think there's a question about that. So that's why we spend more time on that this last week or so. And we did earlier today as well. Uh, we talked to Tom Homan, who was acting ICE director for a while and will be, I'm sure, Trump's Homeland Security guy when Trump wins next year. So that's good. So we talked with him. Uh, we'll play that interview coming up here a little bit. But uh, I want to play the 7 o'clock segment that we did about illegal immigrants in your home. And will it ever get to the point where it's mandated? We got two big stories of the day. We'll get to Mayorkas in just a second. The other one that happened even later last night is the election to replace George Santos in Congress. So if you remember, George Santos was kicked out of Congress. He was the first person to be expelled from the House without having been convicted of a crime or supporting the Confederacy. George Santos is a serial liar, but a fun, a fun one, a fun serial liar, like the kind who says, my grandparents fled from the Holocaust and my mom almost died in 9-11 and I was the star of my college volleyball team and it turns out he never went to that college and doesn't play volleyball and honestly it looks like he can't even throw a ball but everyone was like okay sure he was a star and he was said he worked on Wall Street and he said I wasn't a drag queen in Brazil when he really was so fun lies not like the normal lies that we normally get out of our Congress people. Anywho, they expelled him, and a Democrat just won the special election. So now the Republican majority is even smaller. The Democrat won 54 to 46 in this district. The racist Democrats in Long Island refused to vote for the Ethiopian woman. They went with the straight white guy instead. What a bunch of racists. So now the Republicans control the House, 219 to 213, which means that they lose three votes. It's a tie. And they lose, right? Yeah, three votes and they lose. Uh, the impeachment yesterday of Mayorkas, if this guy, if this election were held last week, then, or, or if the impeachment is next week, were, were next week, then he wouldn't have been impeached because the impeachment of Mayorkas won by one vote. And if this guy were in Congress, this Democrat, then it would have been a tie in the Senate. If there's a tie, goes to the vice president to break the tie in the House. If it ties, that's it. You lose. It doesn't pass. So uh, that's how close it all is right now, which leads into 
the impeachment of Mayorkas. Mayorkas is the first uh, cabinet member to be impeached since 1857. Uh, it means nothing. Uh, I, I'm for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pro impeaching Mayorkas, but also it means nothing. Practically, at least it means nothing. Now it just goes to the Senate. And they're not gonna they're not gonna convict him. Even if he were to resign in shame, <laughs> just hilarious resigning in shame. <laughs> oh, they don't do that anymore. But even if he were to resign in shame, there's a long conveyor belt of Mayorkas's right behind him. So this makes no practical difference whatsoever. The best that can happen from this is uh, it goes to the Senate and the Republicans don't get rolled like they always do in the Senate. And maybe they can pin the border to Biden, right? Because if Mayorkas' defense is, oh, the, like if the Republicans can paint the picture to the American people on television now uh, through a trial that they don't have any control over the process of because the Democrats control the Senate, but whatever, if they can somehow control the narrative enough to tell everyone, hey, this is how bad the border is. And Mayorkas, it's your fault. And Mayorkas says, no, no, I'm just following orders. Whose orders? Biden's orders. Well, great. We can put someone else in that job instead. That seems to me to be the play if the Republicans can pull it off, which is, of course, they can't because they never, they never do. Um, let me, let's, let's, I want to talk about an immigration thing here. Are you with me on Mayorkas? Are we cool on that? I know that's kind of the cynical take, but like, 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 like not, there's no practical difference. He's on the job today. He's still on the job. Before, I think it was before Trump was impeached the first time. I think almost everyone thought that if you were impeached, you're kicked out of office. And I think everyone realized, oh, that doesn't mean anything, actually. <laughs> if you get impeached, we just move on with our day. That, that's like the first step, isn't it? So listen, it had, it had to happen. I'm glad it did. Doesn't do anything. Practically, at least. There could be some wins to come out of a trial, maybe, but we'll see. Um, all right, I want to play a couple of clips here for you related to immigration. In my brain, I can wrap my head around pretty much every dystopian potential that can be thrown my way. Most people don't can't see any. Like if you tell most people some dystopian future potentiality, they'll say, oh, that's ridiculous. And I hear it and I say, hmm, yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. This is one, though, that I, I can't wrap my head around. I'll admit I can't wrap my head around it. But I'm starting to see it. I, I, see, I see the little things leading to it. I don't, I can't imagine the last step actually happening but I'm seeing all the things that could lead to that last step happening. And that is the government, whether it's local, state, federal, forcing you to take illegal immigrants into your home. Now, I know I got it. I'm with you on how crazy that sounds. But then we have this out of CBS in Boston. Well, Lisa, with the state shelters at capacity and, of course, those images of those families sleeping at Logan Airport, the Stokes family said they knew it was time for them to step up and help. 
the family is lovely. They're so appreciative. They're, it, it's, been, it's been wonderful. When Colin and Jessica Stokes called the state to sign up to be a host family, it took less than an hour for the displaced migrants to be dropped off at their door. I got to get sheets on the bed. How many people are coming? Right. Where, are they, where are they from? What ages? We, knew, we really knew nothing. The need is so clearly uh, overwhelming. The family of four who didn't want to go on camera had been sleeping at Logan Airport. The parents and two kids journeyed from Chile to Texas, then Massachusetts, and there are so many stories like it. It boggles the mind that there are so many hundreds of those stories and those people who are in such a uh, stressful traumatic transition. It comes as the state's newest emergency shelter in Roxbury reached its capacity of 400 people in a week. An office building in Boston Seaport could be the next site, but there are concerns. Having a site with no running water, no showers, yeah. to me, uh, would be a non-starter. It is incredible to observe on the front lines how challenging it is. The Stokes are getting a closer look at the state's migrant crisis than they ever imagined and stress the need to fix it is greater than many of us know. Just the dysfunction is really disheartening and I know that really well-intentioned people are working as hard as they can. It's a state of emergency but it is distressing mm. to see the volume. State of emergency. I wonder if there's ever been such a such a massive self-inflicted state of emergency. And if it's self-inflicted, can it be a state of emergency? Can you light your own house on fire and then claim to be in a state of emergency? And this reporter, this local reporter said that this family wants other families to do this. And also the family that they took in, they want to work, but their work permits might take months. Oh, this is terrible. It might take months until they take your job for a lower pay. Months, they say. Horrible. Now, there is, uh, there is some, some good news to this for some of these families. Again, this family is encouraging other families to do it. Um, why would you, you may ask? Why would you take, take in a family? Well, here's local NBC in Boston. Boston's all about this right now. This is NBC in Boston about a woman who took in uh, a, a husband and wife from Haiti. And her claim is it's great because you and I, she can't speak for all places, but at least if you get someone from Haiti, it's kind of like having your own slave. The couple has their work permits and they've been taking English classes. It's a delight and it's really fun having them. What I realized is there's so much prejudice against refugees, mostly because people don't know them. Lisa says she feels like she has her own personal chef as Wildande loves cooking. I get my own personal chef. <laughs> bring, bring in a migrant. They'll cook for you. They'll cook. I don't know. Uh, maybe do a little bit of laundry. Maybe a little cleaning. I don't know. These people love to clean. The brown people. Uh, they hate either black, but whatever. You can, uh, you can, uh, you know, get a little, you know, private chef. A slave. It's free. There's a satire account called the U.S. Ministry of Truth on the Twitter. 
They said U.S. officials encourage wealthy families to take in migrant families as involuntary cooks, cleaning staff, and landscapers. The Community Talent Team Occupation Network, or COTTON, has already received praise from the Biden administration. That's a joke. It's a joke. Here's my my main uh, concern with this. I wonder if these families or the media would ever admit it when something bad happens. Sure, they're happy to admit it when their new slave cooks for them. That's great. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll sing from the rafters how great it is that they don't have to cook or clean anymore because they have their new migrant family living in uh, to do that for free. Sure, they have to feed them, right? But, you know. Uh, so they'll, they'll, they're happy to talk about the benefits of slavery. But would they or the local news ever report if something terrible happened in one of these relationships? Why would I wonder... Well, just the other day, uh, if there's kids in the car, uh, get the five seconds, five second volume, eh, give me 20, 20 second volume down, turn the volume down and like point out something outside, but like, look, look at the beautiful trees or so you get 20 seconds. Ready to go. Just the other day, there was a gang rape of a 13 year old in a public park in Sicily. And here's uh, CNN, the latest in a string of shocking sexual attacks in the country. The case is reminiscent of two alleged gang rapes last summer. A group of seven men and teenage boys between the ages of 15 and 18 are currently on trial for the alleged rape of a 19-year-old in Italy. Weeks later, nine young men were arrested and charged with raping two cousins, 10 and 12, near Naples and uh, broadcasting the attack live on social media. They, too, are facing trial. You're like, okay. Uh, I guess the good news is they got them and there are trials. Okay. But here's the CNN headline. An alleged gang rape shocks Italy and provides fodder for an ascendant right wing. Ah, fantastic. Ah, good for them. That's so good. We're against gang rapes because it really helps the right. Here's a great line, too. Italy has long struggled with the problem of gender-based violence. Oh, yeah, long, long, long struggled with it. Lately, really, has been the problem. But I love it. They're, they're trying to frame this as an Italy problem. You know, Italian, misogynistic Italian men gang-raping. It has nothing to do with the Egyptians or the Libyans, or the Syrians. No, it's a long, long health problem among the Italians. Amazing. So if something bad did happen to these families, which I obviously don't want, uh, if they ever told anyone, or if the news decided to even talk about it, because clearly the local news outlets are all on this beat of how wonderful it is, <laughs> how great it is to get your own private. You get your own, uh, you know, personal chef. Safe. Excuse me. Uh, but if they did decide to report on something bad would happen, if, if something bad happened, it would be framed as more right-wing fodder, just more ammo for them to talk about on Breitbart News Daily. Oh. Uh, 
It's the old Norm McDonald joke. One of the greatest tweets of all time. Back in 2016, Norm McDonald tweeted, what terrifies me is if ISIS were to detonate a nuclear device and kill 50 million Americans. Imagine the backlash against peaceful Muslims. It would just be awful. The backlash. Could you believe it? Could you believe the backlash though? That's what this is. An alleged gang rape shocks Italy and provides fodder for an ascendant far right. Ah, those poor gang rapists. Darn you alt-right extremists and your overreaction to gang, gang, gang rape. See, the, the problem with gang rape is it makes the right wing more popular because they happen to take the stance that uh, they're against it. So when it happens, more people support the right with all the fodder. <laughs> fodder. It's great. Fodder. More right wing fodder. Listen, your, your, your buzzword for when the left is lying or spinning or propaganda or whatever you want to call it, the buzzword, the, the, the key, the tell, is when they use a word that you never use in real life. When's the last time you used the word fodder with your friends or your family? Never. I can't even think of sentence with fodder in it. But they make it a headline? What do you, what do you, what do you put the word fodder in a headline? The word you were looking for was proof. This incident that took place in Italy was proof for the ascendant far-right ascension. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so back, back, to, uh, back to America. So there's a lot of them, and there's no place for them. So right now they're asking people to house them. I don't think a lot of people will, although the, the latest pitch is a pretty good one. Free personal chef. Do you like Haitian food? So some will. And to the few who do, we'll never know if anything bad happens. Uh, if, if something bad happens, somehow it will be your fault or Trump's fault or something. It'll be, it'll be this migrant family uh, murdered, the f murdered their host family because they feared for their safety because of Donald Trump. Or something. <laughs> so then you'll be forced. That's the dis uh, no, it's a big step. I know it. I know it. It's a big step. I'm with you. I hear you. This is, um, this is in Boston as well. There's some rec center that's completely full. 400 people, and it's full. Here is a local councilwoman. Governor Moore Healy's office telling me we continue to evaluate additional safety net sites. Dedham, Wellesley, Brookline, you know, cities and towns that have so much more resources um, than the city of Boston. Boston City Councilwoman Julia Mejia thinks more migrants can be placed outside of Boston. I think everybody needs to start opening up their doors because this is a shared responsibility. Is it? You don't even want to share it with Eagle Pass, Texas. 
And now you think everyone in and outside of Boston needs to share in this responsibility as well. I don't know if it is a shared responsibility. Controversy over the placement of surging immigrants comes as a new report links immigrants who settle in Massachusetts to economic benefits for the region. Ah, yes, I love that. So good. Slavery so good for the local economy. The economic benefit. Well, the, listen, the economic benefits of the home are obvious, all right? The, that's slavery is great. It's great for productivity for you. Think of all the things you can spend your time with now instead. It's one of the worst parts about being an adult. Asking yourself, what's for dinner? I don't know. What's for dinner? Who's, who's responsible for this? Maria, what's for dinner? And she just makes it. It's so much easier than thinking about it. So listen, the lo- what it does to the home economy, which is what economy means even. It means the economy is like, like, like the, the business of the home. So for the home economy, it's great. But what about the regional benefits? Oh, it's fantastic. The economic benefit. If you, the more illegal immigrants. That's what he said, isn't it? Hold on here. Go back. Go back. Go back. Controversy over the placement of surging immigrants comes as a new report links immigrants who settle in Massachusetts to economic benefits for the region. Yes. It's a report. It's a new report. I got to find the report. Can't wait to find this report. Uh, quick question. Quick, quick little question. If these Haitians are such an economic benefit. Why aren't, why don't they benefit Haiti? Or if the Nicaraguans are such an economic benefit, what's, what's up with Nicaragua? Listen, of course, of course, illegal immigrants help the economy in the immediate. There's just more things to buy. They have to buy things. They have to buy sandwiches. They have to buy clothes. There's stuff. You buy stuff. And if that's your sole metric for a town or a city or a country, then yeah, more people's great. If that's it, GDP is your sole metric, then okay. But that's not the sole metric for a vibrant home, city, or country. So you're saying, all right, so we started off the segment talking about forcing people to do this. I don't see the force. Of course, it always starts off as a shared responsibility. So this, this could be the argument. This could be the next step. I'm not saying this one happens. Not saying. But here's how it could go. Uh, I see it being eminent domain. You just heard it right there. They just gave it away. The economic, did you hear the report? Did you hear about the report? There's a report who settled in Massachusetts to economic benefits for the region. Okay, so this is good for the economy. Do you remember the eminent domain Supreme Court case? Kilo versus New London, Connecticut. It was five to four. And uh, it said that the city can indeed take people's homes from them and build a mall in the name of uh, economic development. This woman, Suzette Kilo, she owned a house, or she owned her house, and the government took it from her due to the takings clause in the Fifth Amendment that says, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. But they found that a mall counted as a public use benefit because the town would make more tax revenue 
on the mall, th- there was a report. And the report found that this, this town would benefit, and therefore everyone would benefit from having a mall as opposed to just this woman owning her home and a bunch of other people too. Uh, and actually of all people, they want, uh, it was Pfizer. <laughs> Pfizer wanted to build a research center on the site as well. So the, the Supreme Court was like, yeah, you can, you can do that town. So they bought everyone's home and they uh, tore them down and then nothing ever got built. Land is empty. Super. Okay, so see if this makes sense. See if I'm connecting some dots here. If more migrants mean more economic benefit for a community, and there happens to be no room for them right now, but if we can house them in your house temporarily, of course, imagine the economic boon that this would be for not only your house, because you have a slave now, but for the neighboring community and all of our cities. So we are taking from you. It's just, oh, it's just a room, just a room or two, maybe three, and the kitchen. I mean, they need the kitchen. How else are they going to cook your food for free? So we're just going to take a couple rooms of your house. We will compensate you, just compensation, of course. That's what the Constitution says. Come on. We're going to follow the Constitution. We're going to compensate you for your trouble, of course, uh, and it's for the public use. It's public use. We all share in this responsibility, said the Congress or the uh, councilwoman. We all share and we all benefit. Pretty good. Hmm? But no, that'll never happen. Never. There'll also never be drag queens stripping in front of your children at the local library. That would never, that would never happen. In totally unrelated news, Chicago says that they are going to give eviction notices to 13,000 illegal immigrants who are living in their shelter right now. They're going to start this in March. Evicting them. There's a new rule. I don't know why they have this rule because these illegal immigrants are so good for the local economy, but they have a new rule that you're only allowed to stay in these shelters for 60 days. 60 days and you're out. Mid-March is the first set of eviction, and uh, they're looking at 13,000 illegal immigrants to be evicted in March alone, and then a steady flow after that pushed out onto the streets. What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to these, 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 uh, these families? Can't let them sleep on the streets, can we? In fact, it's, it costs $1.5 million a day for Chicago to house these illegal immigrants. $1.5 million a day. So if they put them in your house and give you some of that money, they'll be saving money. It's, it's a cost-saving measure. It's a cost. This will lower your taxes. If we, if, we, if we force these people in your home, it will lower your taxes. You get free food, cleaning, all the, tithes, all the benefits of personal, you know, slavery for yourself, economic benefit for the area, and we're saving taxpayer money. This is fantastic. But it'll never happen. Uh, here's... Uh, the mayor of Denver. I want to thank every resident in this city who has showed up to cook a meal for someone that's arrived, who has welcomed someone into their home, who has offered them a job, who has said, we will help you find your way. You've done your part. The city will do our part. The federal government did not do their part. Okay. So uh, he went on and said, this is the plan for a shared sacrifice. So in Denver, they are now shutting down the DMV. Four of the city's five DMV to pay for all the illegal immigrants. Four of the city's five DMV offices will close for a week at a time on a rotating basis. Uh, 
Rec centers are uh, closed an extra day every week. No new permits for public events or special occasions in the city. Johnson, the mayor said, Mayor of Denver, more, uh, there are more cuts and possibly more difficult ones will be coming soon. So if you're against housing illegal immigrants in your home, again, let me go over all the benefits. You get your own personal slave. Boon for the local economy. We can save taxpayer money and we'll open the DMV again and the rec center. We will restore all of the public, you know, public services for you that we had to get rid of because we were housing these illegal immigrants. Look at all the benefits of this new shared sacrifice. We can't keep pushing people on the street where it's 20 degrees. We can't do that. If only there were people with houses where we could push them. But again, that would never, never, ever happen. To go to Tom Homan, border911.com. He will be Trump's at least border czar, if not Homeland Security Director. Tom, how you doing, sir? Good, doing good. Really Thanks, good to Tom. talk to you. I hate we only got a few minutes here, but thanks for giving it uh, giving it to us. So, uh, give us like, your go to. Like you're you're on the subway, you're on, you're bumping to someone on the sidewalk, and they say, "Oh, I saw you at a Trump rally. You're the border guy. Uh, what's so bad about the border anyway?" What's your quick, like, 20-second pitch as to how awful the situation is? Well, we went from the most secure border in my lifetime, where illegal immigration was down 83 to 90%. Illegal immigration was down to a 45-year low. And within months, to historic illegal immigration, numbers we've never seen before. And it wasn't because of incompetence. It wasn't because of mismanagement. It was done by design. So we got the first president in the history of this nation who came into office an unsecured border. Every president I worked for, starting with Ronald Reagan, took some steps to secure the border. Even Clinton Obama took steps. They understood you can't have strong national security. We don't have border security because you need to know what's coming in, who's coming in. But President Biden, is first president in history of this nation, who came in office, an unsecured border on purpose. Do you know why? Well, they see they they see a future political benefit from it. I know. I think a lot of them think these are future Democratic voters, but they don't. They don't have to get to that point because what Biden also did is he overturned the Trump census rule, which means millions of these illegal aliens in sanctuary cities will be counted in the next census, which is going to result in more seats in House for the Democrats. They perceive a future political benefit from this, and it's a shame that they sold this country's security and sovereignty, sovereignty out for future political power. There is no other reason to open a border. There's no other reason. There's no justification for more illegal immigration, more illegal drug flow, more sex trafficking of women and children, known more known suspected terrorists crossing the border. There's no reason to open the border up other than perceiving a future political benefit. But all the economic benefits. We just played a clip. I hope the sarcasm came through. Uh, we just played a clip from local Boston affiliate, affiliate that talked about a new study that came out, Tom that talked about the economic boon that illegal immigrants give to a given area uh, of wherever they are they're housed. There's no economic boon. What they do, they deplace American workers, they drive wages down. 
Look, I tell you, this is a true story. I put a roof in my house uh, a couple of years ago to get the storm damage. I had to call five different companies before I found a company that guaranteed me legal workforce. But a, a, husband, a, a father and a son showed up who used to run a, a company with 20 U.S. citizens that replaced roofs. It was just him and his son now. They wanted to see if they could just repair it and glad they replaced the whole roof because they can't do a whole roof. And he told me that after having this business for over 20 years, he had to lay off 20 United States citizen employees because he couldn't win a bid to repair a roof anymore because he was, you know, he's paying U.S. citizens 20 bucks an hour on the roof and other companies hiring illegal aliens at $7 an hour on the roof. He couldn't compete. He couldn't win the award. That's one story out of many. We shut down, when I was the ice director, we shut down a meatpacking plant in Kansas City. And guess who replaced those illegal aliens? We removed them, the black community. So, no, illegal aliens displaced the low-wage United States citizens worker. They, they push uh, wages down. And, look, they, and, they, and they spend more than they make, I mean, with social services alone. I mean, right now you got hospitals that are declaring bankruptcy, especially in Yuma. They can't afford to pay their bills because the whole maternity war is full of illegal aliens. Trauma centers are being infected. Schools are overcrowded. Uh, social service systems are, are overspent. So no, it's, I, I don't believe the hype. I've been doing this for you know over 30 years. There's no good to illegal immigration, none. And when people say, "Well, they're just trying to come here and get a better life," they got to understand. 31 percent of women, 31 percent of women that make their journey get raped by the criminal cartels. They got over 1,700 migrants that died on U.S. soil since Joe Biden became president. We got 112,000 dead Americans because the open border and the fentanyl coming across. No, there's no good to illegal migration. Illegal migration is not a victimless crime, no matter what they say. Because I know the whole under ugly underbelly of how these people are treated and the way these cartels are operating. We got to talk. We we need more time, Tom. Here, but let me ask you: You've spent a lot of time with Donald Trump personally. What is Trump saying behind the scenes about the border? It's a travesty. He, he agrees with me that he cannot believe any commander-in-chief will come in and unsecure the border. And look what's resulted in it. I mean, we got record numbers of fentanyl deaths. Like the borders, was, he created such a chaos. The border the border chose overrun. I've been on the border a dozen times in the last year. 70 to 90%. That's, that's, that's an actual number. 70 to 90% of agents have been pulled off the line to process these this humanitarian illegal alien crisis. Mm. When you take 70, 90% of agents off the line, you've got vast open parts of the border. That's when the fentanyl comes across. That's when the other drugs come across. That's when the criminals and gang members come across. That's when people that uh, don't expect terrorists come across. That's when the sex trafficking comes across because the border is wide open. There's been several times this past year in certain sectors, whether it's Eagle Pass or Yuma or El Paso, where they pulled every single border patrol agent off the line, off patrol, there wasn't a single uniform on patrol for hundreds of miles of border for days. So this is again, you don't think the cartels had a field day, a field day with that? When yeah. the cartels know what they do, they push a big group of 200 families to one area, and they know that whatever's left on the border, that 30 percent, is going to seize the opportunity to go deal with that humanitarian crisis, which opens up hundreds of miles of uh, unpatrolled border. And so the cartels create these gaps to move the drugs and move the people that don't want to be caught. Now, here's what the most important thing people can understand. We now have 1.9 million known gotaways that are caught on video, drone traffic, central traffic, crossed the border, weren't apprehended. They paid more to get away. 
Why would people pay more to get away? Why not turn yourselves in a Border Patrol, get released in 24 hours, get a free airline ticket to the city of your choice, get work authorization, get a hotel room, get three squares a day and medical attention? Who doesn't take advantage of that giveaway program? Why do 1.9 million people pay more to get away? Because they don't want to be fingerprinted. They don't want to be vetted. That should scare the hell out of everybody. That 1.9 million people chose to pay more to get away. When you talk to Trump about it, all, listen, all the reasons you just said, of course, and it's like obvious to any normal person, what you're saying is bad. Or, why do you think Trump cares so much? Like, why does he have like a visceral, guttural reaction to what's happening? Look, I've worked, I worked with this man for years, and I, I, I've been with him in private settings, Air Force One, the Oval Office. I've been with him in Mar-a-Lago. The man loves his country. And he had great success on security border. People can argue, hey, the guy's, the guy's mean, whatever. Whatever. If you're looking for perfection, you better wait for the second coming of Jesus. I've never met a perfect man. But I will say this. I've worked for six presidents, starting with Ronald Reagan, on, on the border. And they all took steps to do the security border. No one did more than Donald Trump. What he did was unprecedented. He moved illegal immigration until 45 years old. And people want to say his policy is inhumane. Well, I argue this. Doctors Without Borders, a, a nonpartisan group, said 31% of women making that journey get raped. So when Donald Trump had illegal immigration at 45 years old, when he had illegal immigration down 90%, when 90% less people were coming, how many women didn't get raped? Mm. How many children didn't drown in the river? How, how many migrants didn't die crossing the border? Yeah, how many pounds of fat did make the country get 100% of the line? How Tom, many we women and children weren't sex trafficked? We got to hit the break here, Tom. Uh, let's do it again, sir. I appreciate you. There's a actually a Border 911 gala coming up on April 4th in Mar-a-Lago, emceed by our previous guest, Sebastian Gorka. And you can uh, just go to border911.com for information on that if you'd like to attend there and just anything else related to this all-important topic. Tom Holman, great to talk to you, Tom. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Tom is, uh, will certainly be... Like, this is what you're voting for. You're not just voting for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. If you vote for Joe Biden, you vote for Mayorkas. You vote for Donald Trump, you're voting for Tom Holman <laughs> to be your border czar. Yes, please. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. I am off the next two days, but the great Jerome Hudson will be filling in. We'll see you next week. Spread the word.